0: Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled Imitate, a study on the book of First Thessalonians. For more information about CBC or how to get plugged in, visit us on the website, cbcsavannah.com. Father, we have peace with you because of your Son. And so we can freely come and we can freely worship and we can have joy and there is no fear. We don't have fear of you, Father. We can come to you as a loving Father, uh, as you you look to us as your children. And, And I don't know if we grasp that like we should or we certainly don't value it. I know often that you being God have made us your children. And so we are gathered now to worship you, to to worship your son in the power of your spirit, to hear your word, which you have given for us, that we may know you, that we may be built up, that we may grow into the likeness of Christ our Savior. And so I just pray that as we start this new series, as we enter a new season as a church, that you would just use these next 10 weeks uh, to just shape us and sharpen us and, and make us more like Christ, not some... Some better quote church but, but a people who reflect the, the Savior Whom we, we say we follow I, I acknowledge as I do Always Lord that I have no power To move people towards you at all I have no ability In fact I need to probably be moved towards you More than anyone I have uh, I've rebelled I have sinned I have rejected I have worshipped other things and, and so I'm just asking you now Despite my failures As my Heavenly Father that you would fill me with your spirit so that I can feed your sheep, that we can build one another up. Lord, we have folks that are in great places right now, we have folks that are hurting right now. And we live in a broken city. I mean, another person attacked and stabbed last night downtown. I mean, it's just, it's a broken city and you have put us here so that we may be your light, we may be your people, so help us to be. Not just to be a people that gather for an hour on Sunday, but beyond that, we are your followers on your mission uh, in, in the power of your spirit, and so help me for Christ's namesake, I pray. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Can have a seat. All right, how many of y'all have been watching the Olympics? Any of y'all watching the Olympics? How good is like the swimming, right? Like Katie Ledecky is—I I mean, beating everyone by like seven laps in the pool the other night was that amazing? I can't like for me the Olympics is jumping in the pool. If there's a medal for that, I win. I'm first in. But other than like going that far. But we've been watching and, you know, when it's those, no one cares about the semifinals, right? You know, you see semifinal, you turn the channel. But when it's finals and there's an American, you know what, you're like, in our house, we start screaming and yelling, the dog is barking and it's just nuts as if they could hear us. It's probably even on tape delay, but we're just yelling and excited and it's great to see our folks up on the the stand. And because I'm a child of the 80s, I root for two people. I root for the Americans and I root against the Russians. (laughs) Because I'm like, this is Ivan Drago's people. They killed Apollo Creed. They killed Patrick Swayze and Red Dawn. <laughs> so this is the enemy. So America and anti against Russia. Okay, that's that's the way it, that we happens in the house. But there's something amazing about watching a 4 foot 8 girl jump through the roof. I mean, it is amazing. I see the, some of the, the power behind these volleyball players, and you're just, just crushing the ball. And he's going, you know, get it up in the air. I don't know how they even see it. Or to see the divers, or, or some of you think that you know how to play ping pong, and then you see the Chinese. <laughs> you're like, yeah, it was the best in my frat. I'm like Forrest Gump, right? You would get smoked by these ladies. They're just amazing. Or t- have, you, have you seen team handball? One of the secret hidden gems of the sports world. Great sport. Even fencing, we're watching fencing in our house the other day and the kids, as soon as it's over, they grab coat hangers and they're all, (laughs) like, there's something about seeing greatness that it makes you want to be like it, right? I mean, I don't have any statistics, but I'm pretty sure that next week and the following gymnastics enrollments, swimming enrollments are going to go up. It's just, I want to be like Michael Phelps. Sorry, you're four foot tall. you ain't going to be like Michael Phelps. But but there's there's something about When you see someone do something great You just want to be like them You want to be I want to be like that I want to be able to do that Right I want to mimic I want to imitate that And that's kind of behind the heart Of this new series that we're starting today And we've called it Imitate And we're going to see a church That is worth imitating that the Apostle Paul is going to say, you are the model church, that you, everyone is following you, right? Everybody is imitating or should be imitating you. And the cool thing about this church we're going to study is it is a rookie church. It is a church plant. They're brand new Christians. I mean, brand new in the faith, less than a year old. And, and not only that, they were born into hostility. From day one, it was like conflict all around this little church. And yet Paul is going to say, y'all, y'all are the model. Y'all are the example. Y'all are, are worth imitating. And, and that's what we're going to just look at over the next 10 weeks. A church worth imitating. What does it look like? And what was it about it? Let me, let me just give you a sneak peek. Had nothing to do with their sermons. They didn't have a cool sliding board from the third floor kids down into the med. They didn't invent this new thing called the flanagraph. Woo, we got the flanagraph for our kids now. They didn't have a hipster cool worship leader, right? Just a group of people. And, And what was, new word here for you, imitatable. I know it's not, if you're an English teacher, you're like, no, it's imitable. I don't like imitable because I like imitate, so it's imitatable. All right, and if I get to say so because no one else is talking right now. So (laughs) we wanna be a people that are imitatable, right? That people can say, there is something about those people had nothing to do with our church service, nothing to do with our kids' programs, nothing to do with our building. Those things are not worthy of imitating. But a people that they say there is something about those people that worship in that building And I want to be like that because we are just following the Savior. We are imitating Christ and we are imitatable. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next couple months, just through October, as we study the church at Thessalonica, right? The first epistle to the Thessalonians, not a very commonly read book. So here's your homework for next week. School's back, y'all. Amen. Hallelujah. Woo. Right. So here's your homework. I want you to read this little Letter. Every day for a week. Take you about 10 minutes. It's Five little chapters, right? It's in the New Testament. If you don't know where it is, it's one of the longest named Thessalonians. You can see it. It's on the table of contents. It sticks out to the right more than everything else. All right? It's, it's a great little epistle. And I want you to read it every day for a week. That is your homework. All right? Again, 10 minutes. Don't don't read it. And I'm going to outline it. And I'm going to do diachronic word studies. Just read it. All right? Just read it. You don't have to study, just read it, read it through. And as you do so every day, you're going to start to see more and more stuff and you're going to be better prepared as we come in here and talk about this stuff for the next 10 weeks because we want to be a church that is imitatable, all right? And so today, here's here's the goal. We're going to give you the, the background of the book, the background of this epistle because this epistle is just a fancy word for letter, right? This is a letter and it's not to you. It's for you. But it wasn't written to you, it was written to a specific group of people who live in a specific city, in a certain cultural background, with certain stuff going on. And so if you want to understand the big picture of what's going on in this book, you got to know what's going on behind the scenes. So we're going to spend some time just kind of laying the foundation, kind of background issues in the book, what's going on, so it makes more sense to you. And that's the first goal. And then we'll just crack the little letter, we'll look at one little verse and start talking about some things that are worth imitating. All right, so let's look, let me give you the background. We're going to actually start today at Acts chapter 17. So if you have a Bible, go to Acts chapter 17. And we were here last year, so we're going to be brief. But I want you to see how this little church starts. It's about 50 AD. Okay, 50 AD. The Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey. Okay, and so he's been planting churches and going around. And he's got a little three-man team going on. He's got a, a fiery Jewish dude named Silas, right? And he's kind of this, you know, fired up, great teaching guy. He's with him. And then he's got this, this young buck, late teenager. He just picked him up a couple months earlier. He's got family issues. His dad was a non-believer. His mom was a believer. His name is Timothy. And they've been visiting all these places and visiting places that Paul had been before. And so they come to a little city called Troas. It's on the coast. And everywhere they're trying to go, God is like stopping them, stopping them. So like, what do you want us to do, God? Well, Paul has a dream. And in this dream, he sees this guy from Macedonia saying, come to Macedonia, come to Greece. And so Paul says, hey, let's get on a boat. So they get on a boat and here's a little map for you, I think, maybe. No, you got a slide map? No, it was in the slide, so we'll get it later. So Uh, anyway, imagine there's a map behind me right now. Okay, And uh, he goes from Troas to a little coastal town. Name Apollonia, and he kind of gets into Greece for the first time, him and his little team. And they kind of start walking and start ministering, and they come to a town named Philippi, and we look at that last year, but they go down to the river, and there's a bunch of ladies doing a Bible study, and and they come to faith, and then he gets thrown in jail because he cast a demon out. And they have a little singing session in the bottom of the jail, and there's an earthquake, and all these things happen, right? And the church of Philippi is born, and when they're released from jail, because they were arrested illegally, everyone was like, can you please leave town because we know that we did wrong here? So Paul and his team leave Philippi. They get on what's called the Via Ignatia, which is like the I-95 of the day. It connects the east from the west and it goes right down the coast into a town called Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was this big city, big metropolis. In that day, about a quarter million people lived there. It had a port, it had a military presence. It was a melting pot of just everything because it was on the way from Rome to the east. And so this was a a metropolis. Don't think Bloomingdale, think LA, (laughs) think San Francisco, think Houston, not Bluffton, all right. It, It is a very vital city. It is the capital of the province. In that day, and Paul shows up there and he does what he does almost every time. He looks for a synagogue. And so, verse one, we got no slides up there today? Man, technology is going crazy. There we go. So, here's verse one. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And so, Paul does what he does every time. He went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He was a Pharisee, he was a trained Pharisee, remember? And so they allow him to speak in the synagogue. And he spends three Sabbaths, that's three Saturdays, arguing three points. He explains and proves, number one, that the Messiah had to suffer. Number two, that they had to rise from the dead. And number three, that the identity of this Messiah was a man named Jesus from Nazareth. That's what he, three weeks he's preaching. Messiah had to suffer. Messiah had to rise from the dead. Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth. And he uses the Old Testament, probably goes to Psalm 22, talking about he's pierced. Isaiah 53, he was crushed. All these passages, Psalm 16, how he was not going to stay in the grave. And he shows them from the Old Testament, this is the Messiah. And the response, some of them were persuaded and joined him. As did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. All of a sudden, the church is born. you got a few Jewish people. you got a bunch of Greek people, a bunch of Gentiles. And you have a bunch of these like power ladies, these Martha Stewart's of the day, right? And they all are in the church now, right? New church, Thessalonian church, right? And then just like always, what happens? Conflict. The Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar. And they attacked the house of Jason That's probably where Paul is staying It's probably where the church is meeting And seeking to bring them out of the crowd And when they could not find them They dragged Jason and some of the brothers Before the city authorities shouting These men who have turned the world upside down Have also come here right. And Jason had received them and, and they were all acting against the decrees of Caesar Saying that there's another king, Jesus And so they basically bring this guy in They charge him with no crime They just say he's causing problems He's denying Caesar as king And they stir up the crowd And so they release him and then we had taken money as a security It's kind of bail bonds of the day They let them go And then the apostle Paul The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas by night to Berea And when they arrived they went into the Jewish synagogue Because it's dangerous Because there's conflict Because there's strife They get the apostle Paul and Silas out at night And so he's there for a couple of weeks We know at least three Sabbaths Most scholars think they're a couple months He's there two months maybe Maybe three But he's there a very short time The point is, they're all brand new Christians and he has to leave Uh, on a dime. He he doesn't want to leave. He didn't prepare his last sermon. He didn't write a final letter. He just has to get out of Dodge. He goes 50 miles down the road. And just to show you the kind of conflict that's going on in Thessalonica, the kind of hatred that's going on towards Jesus. These Thessalonians, they hear Paul is 50 miles down the road in Berea, which is not just like, that's that's quite a little hike back then. There's no cars. They go down to there, to Berea, and they, they agitate the crowd there too. They learned that God was proclaiming in Berea. And so they come there 50 miles down the road and they stir up trouble. That's how, that's how much they were opposed to the gospel. And, and I highlight that because that is, the, that is what's going on in Thessalonica. That is what these, this brand new church is facing. And it's tearing Paul up that he had to leave this church in the middle of conflict, feeling like they were unprepared. He hadn't trained them up yet. And so what we find out is as he goes to Athens and Corinth, he is tore up inside because he is worried about these people whom he loved. He talks about how he loved them like a mom loves her nursing baby, how he loved them like a a father loves his his kids. He's passionate about these people and he's worried about these people. And he's like, are they going to make it? What's going to happen? I don't know. And there's no Instagram and there's no Facebook and there's no cell phones. And so he's worried. It's like some of you, some of you dropped your kids off at college and you're like, what are they doing this morning? Are they at church? You're finding my friends on iPhone, you're seeing if he's at his dorm or if he's at church right now. You're worried, right? Or or maybe you, uh, you're a wife or a a parent of, of someone who's deployed and you, and you don't know what's going on. And you're like, what is going on right now? There's that unknown. That's Paul. There's this unknown. He, he, want, he wants to know about these people he loves. And, and so when he can bear it no more, he says in chapter 3, we, we sent Timothy back. Maybe Timothy was the most inconspicuous. He's the young guy. He can kind of sneak in. But he just has to know how they're doing because he was afraid, chapter 3, verse 5 says this, that, that the tempter would tempt them and their labor would be in vain, that the pressure would get so intense for these Thessalonians that they would turn their back on Jesus that the opposition would be so fierce that they would fall away. And he's, it's crushing him. He'd bear it no longer. So he sends Timothy. And so he puts him on a ship. Timothy goes away for weeks after week. Weeks turn into months. And finally, one day Timothy comes back. And Paul is just waiting to hear how these people are. And the report is beyond what he can imagine. That not only were they okay, they were thriving. In fact, not only were they thriving, in just a few short months, this little church had become the model church in all of Greece, that everyone was to follow their example. And so what Paul does is he sits down in response to this great news and he writes a letter, a letter called First Thessalonians. He didn't call it First Thessalonians, we call it First Thessalonians. He just called it a letter to my buddies in Thessalonia, right, Thessalonica. But this is, that's this letter. It's, it's his response to hearing about these people who he loved, who have all this pressure and all this tension and all this opposition. It's his response to hearing that they're doing great. And there's kind of big three picture goals in this book. Number one, he wants to just encourage them. He's going to write how he's thankful for them and how awesome they're doing. And he's proud of them like a dad. and, And he just loves them. And he wants to encourage them to keep going. It's the main point of this letter. But there's a second point. There's some people that are lying about Paul and Timothy and Silas, and they're saying things like they don't really care about you. They just want your money. They don't. If they really cared about you, they would've been here. And so Paul's just going to remind them of the truth. Hey, this is what we were like. Don't you rem- don't you remember? Here, here, here. Just remember what we did when we were with y'all. And then this third kind of big picture thing is they have questions. They got lots of questions because he was only there for a little bit of time. And so there's a lot of things going on. And so he's just going to clarify some of their questions. They got some questions about Jesus and how he returns and when it's going to happen and and how to do some things. And so he's just going to clarify some things. But as he does that, as he encourages, we get this this picture of a church that is worth imitating. A young church, a, a baby church born in opposition, right? And so... What we're going to do is we're just going to look at verse 1 now. Because that's kind of big picture. That's the setting. That's what's going on. We're just going to look at verse 1. And I know you're like, just verse 1? We're only getting one verse today? Only getting one verse. Because I think we, we blow through these, these little, these greeting verses. Ah, it's just Paul telling them who it is. From Paul to Thessalonica. Let's get to the good stuff. Right? But remember, every word of the scripture is inspired. Every single word. The two Thessalonians. From Paul. God the Holy Spirit is moving through Paul and his pen as he writes it because there's something there for us to see. And I know it seems like he's just telling it who it is, but there's some great little principles right up front for us that will set the stage if we are going to be a people who are imitatable. And, And you're gonna see some of the secrets of what's going on in this little church that's imitatable, right? And it's, let me just tell you, it's so simple. If you're looking for like this deep, you know, theological, this is not your book, which is probably one of the reasons why most of you have never heard it preached because very few people preach this book. Now, you Google sermons, 1 Thessalonians, you get some random guy from like Grand Rapids, right? You know, all the big guys, the big dogs out there, they don't preach this book because there's no major big, dog. you know, we don't have Philippians 2 and Ephesians 2 and, and you don't have some you know, great ecclesiology or Romans 1 through 11. It's just a very simple, straightforward book, just like a P. it's a PE book. All right. This is my kind of book, just tells you how it is. It's super simple, but that's, this is the model. This is, this is the model. And so let's, let's just jump in today. I got three things that are just kind of highlight that it'll start this process of us just kind of evaluating and seeing some things that we want to we imitate, All right? So verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, which is kind of an Aramaic name for Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. I know it seems like that's just your common open. That's like the subject line in an email, but there's more there than that. All right. He starts off saying this, Paul, Silvanus and Timothy. Let's just stop right there. When you compare all the other intros to Paul's letters in this one, this one is unique for a couple reasons. Number one, he doesn't mention a title. Usually he says, Paul, the apostle, Paul, the servant, Paul, the something, right? He doesn't say anything about who he is here. He just says, Paul. Second thing that's unique is he usually says, Paul, an apostle, and he might add, and Timothy. Here he adds three names, okay? It's from Paul, it's from Silas, it's from Timothy. And that's not because he sat down and said, okay, who wants chapter one? Silas, I got chapter one. Okay, you got chapter one. Who wants chapter Timothy? No, we're just going to give you the, you know, you get the conclusion because you're the rookie. I got chapter three. That's not what's going on. Paul is the author. He's going he's gonna to highlight that later. But he is highlighting something for them that is really just the model that we see in the New Testament, that this is a, a team deal. There is not a jealous bone in Paul's body. There is not an ego where he's like, I got to be the big dog and you can be the little dog. So we'll put your name second. There is none of that. For Paul, this is a family. This is a deal. This is not about him. He is not hogging the limelight. In fact, you go through this letter, you see the the pronoun we more than anything else. We did this. We did this. We did this. We did this. We were like this. We, 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 we. Not me, 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 me. And that's the heart of Paul. His heart is always to build up others. His heart is always to point to others. His heart is always to affirm others. His heart is to raise up others. The reason he's got Timothy there is because he's going to be the pastor of the church in Ephesus, eventually. He's going to be a big dog, so to speak. But Paul is other-centered. Even in the way he says this, it says, "...to the church of the Thessalonians." That is very unique for Paul. He usually says the church of God in Corinth, in Ephesus, to the saints in Philippi. He makes this super personal. I know it's, it's, it's kind of subtle, but when you study it study in depth and you study the rest of the letters, he makes it very personal. He says to the church of the Thessalonians, it makes it personal and corporate. What he's saying is, hey, you 85 year old, this is for you. And you 13 year old, this is for you. And you little baby in the nursery driving some lady crazy right now, this is for you. It's, it's all of us, but it's every single one. He is showing how he values every single person, how he cares for every single person. And it's a huge thing, but yet it's a simple thing. And here's the first, here's the first thing that'll make us imitatable is that we, like them, would be a simple family. I, I, I know that's like, Almost an understatement, but that's what this church was. In fact, he is going, you know what this church is famous for? They don't have a cool hipster leader with a short preacher. You don't even know who the pastor is. We just know they meet probably in Jason's house. This church is known for how they love one another. In fact, he says later, he says, concerning brotherly love, I don't have to teach you anything. You already know. You're already doing it. Can you imagine if that's what you're known for as a church? That the world, I mean, Greece, modern day Greece, that's like the state of Georgia. If everyone in Georgia said, no one needs to teach CBC how to love, they got it. How'd you hear about CBC? Because they love people. Not their Instagram pictures. It is a radical thing. And where did they learn it? From these three guys who come into town, who model sacrifice, giving, and love, and then they just follow them. Who were they? Were following who? The Lord Jesus, who did not consider himself, right? Who who thought of others? Philippians two, who regarded himself not equal, and he lays down his life. They're just following. The apostles are following Jesus. The church is following the apostles. They're imitating, ultimately going back to Christ, and and that is what we want to be known for. Nobody cares about a building. This building is going to be, it's already, you're used to this building. Do you realize it's been a year since we've been in this building now? Like last year, this time, I think this week, we are still in that room one more time. We're like, please, Lord, get us out of that room. And now you've been in it a year and you don't even notice it anymore. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I do because I don't have to preach Saturday. This is great. But I mean, it, it just gets old. No one cares about a building. No one cares about kids' programs. I mean, they're important. We love our kids. But that's not imitatable. What is imitatable is what you do when you leave. That's what we're talking about. And what would it look like? I mean, just think about it. And I, I know you're, when I talk about family, it's kind of comical. Because, yeah, I mean, some of us have bigger families, but none of us have 1,500-person families. And so you're like, that's not realistic, Bill. How am I supposed to love everybody in this church like my, my kid? Look, I understand. There's people in this church you're never going to meet. Let's own it. Right? And, but, and it was real easy. Let me tell you, when we were a church down in Johnny Harris, which they're knocking down now, which is sad. But when we were down there and there's 20, 30 of us, it was easy to love everybody like a family. It was easy. Even when we moved in this building seven years ago or eight years ago, when there was a hundred of us, it was easy to love each other's family. Everyone knew everybody. I, lo- I know like four of you and four of you are my kids. I mean, it, it's difficult when it gets bigger. So there's going to have to be some effort on, you're not going to know everybody, but you can know somebody. And, and the idea where this starts, not only in our homes, but in our church, is when you start to come with the idea, when you start to gather and say, not what can I get? And what, how can I make my voice heard? And how can I get what I need? When you cease to do that consumeristic American church thing, and you come with the idea that how can I help somebody else? Not only on Sunday, but when you leave here. So, so you're asking the question, since it's our job to encourage one another to love and good deeds, how can I encourage someone else? Does it look like a letter for me to write to them this week? Does it look like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for them this week? Does it look like I'm going to take those ladies' kids from her because she looks like she's about to strangle them this week? Does it look like I'm... What does it look like to look for others' interests? That... For teenagers for you to realize that though you are told this and you feel like this you are not the center of the world even though your selfie is very attractive that little guys the under teens that you would would start to see it is not your mama's job to do everything for you that she shouldn't have to take your bowl to the sink and put your clothes in the hamper, that you're gonna help mom, that you're gonna help dad because you're looking out for others. It's for all of us. Because we all, how does it work in a family if one person is always demanding, is always critical, is always selfish, what does that do to the family? I don't care if you have one kid, 20 kids. It is a miserable place. But if everyone is like other-centered, I'm gonna help you, I'm gonna serve you, I'm gonna look out for you, Is there ever going to be a need in this body that is not met? Someone needs a car. I guarantee you someone's going to provide them a car somehow or we're going to get them somewhere. I mean, there will never be a need. We will never have to ask for volunteers. There will never be an unmet need. If people, everyone is simply coming. I'm here. I'm just here to be a, a vessel for God, whatever that looks like. I'm telling you, that's a family. That is this church. This is church. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. There's, it, family is not easy, right? There's conflict in family, right? Anyone have conflict this week? Getting ready for school, notebooks? I don't like blue. Gum. Give me a red notebook. I want a blue notebook. Get me to school early. I want to be in. You got conflict in your house? Or is it just me? You got conflict in your marriage? It, it, there's times when people are not lovable, right? There's times when people are annoying, there's times when people hurt other people. I have to say, I'm sorry. But here's the thing. You will never be hurt or offended even close to as much as you have offended God, a holy God, and yet He pursues you, loves you. He makes you His enemies, His children. So He's the model. And so what God has done for you, now what we do in the family. And yes, they might be annoying. And yes, they might have hurt your feelings. But you know what, as, as he, but Paul says, as God has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That's how we stay a family. And if you're, if you're just here to you know, get you and consumeristic, then that's not a church. That's not a family. That's, that's the mall. That's Target. Family, family is in one of our favorite shows. Family does for itself. Family does. We, we serve one another. So that's the idea. That's what this church is doing. That is why they are worth imitating. Second thing. They have a simple faith. And I love this point. Okay, here's Paul. He's there for a, a, a short period of time. Not long enough to get deep, deep, deep into it and do all these things. But look what he says, second thing. Paul, Silas, Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus. So stop there. He uses this fave, fave, fave phrase that Paul always has in all his epistles. In Christ, right? He talks about being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. But here he does something unique. He calls, he says, you're in the Father. We've seen in Christ before, but in this passage, he says, you're in the Father and in Christ. Now, why would he do do that here? Because he's reminding them of the simple truth that he taught them when when they were there, that you are secure and you are safe in Christ your father. And, and there's, there is severe opposition, y'all. Like you've never seen opposition. It gets so bad in this church, the opposition to the gospel, they think they're living in the tribulation period. All right. So the second letter, he has to tell them, no, 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 no. You're not living in the tribulation period. All right. Isn't it funny how everyone always thinks so bad. We're in America. We So bad. They took the 10 commandments out of the school. It's So bad. These people are losing their life. But, and it's real. And they think it's, it's so bad that they're like, are we living in the last of the last days? Is this it, Lord? And so he reminds them, hey, it's bad, but you are in the Father. And it really kind of echoes what the Lord Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, they follow me, and, and no one's able to snatch them out of my hand. And the Father who is greater than I, no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. This idea that they're safe because they have a Father and he loves them. And this is, this is, it's simple. There's two main kind of theological points that they get. And really, if this is the only points we get as a church, it's not bad. That, number one, God is their father. And I, th- I know you think that's all oh, that's you know, I've heard that my whole life. That is radical for them. They grew up in a culture where Zeus and, and Hermes and all these guys, that, that, that at best the gods were indifferent. And and at worst, you didn't want to tick them off because then lightning might come down or there might be a tsunami from Poseidon. And so you had to appease God. You had to walk on eggshells that God didn't care about you. He actually was mad at you. And now they have come to believe that God is their father, that he had chosen them. We'll see that next week. That he had cared so much that he sent his own son to crush him so that they might become his own children. It's very simple Truth, but one, I'm telling you, it's profound in their lives And it will be for us God is our Father In fact, J.I. Packer in his great book, Knowing God Which most of it is too deep for me to understand But he says this He asks the question, what is a Christian? And then he answers it The question can be answered in many ways But the richest answer I know Is that a Christian is one who has God for his father It's simple, but it's profound. Look, and I know the idea of God as father, for some of you, that is a struggle because you have been wounded by your dad. In fact, the reality is we've all been wounded by our father. I'm wounding my kids all the time. And, and, and my dad did the same to me and we, his dad did the same. And so you can't escape it because you're not a perfect dad. And so some of you had absentee dad who was never there or some of you had neglected dad who he, he kind of, you know, he's at work so much and he saw you once in a while at Christmas and Thanksgiving, but that was it. Some of you had domineering dad who was a Marine or who was a something. And, and so it was always this, my way, the highway. Some of you had performance driven dad. When you got A's, he loved you. When you got C's, he didn't right? Some of you had abusive dad, right? Where there was physical abuse, there was verbal abuse. Some of you had friend dad, which seems like a great thing until you realize, no, I don't need a friend. I need a dad. But whatever way you've been wounded, here's the reality. That is not God, your father. He is perfect and he is good, right? And And the tension in the text is If God is so good, then why is he allowing all this junk to go on in the Thessalonians' life? All right? Wouldn't a good dad kind of smack down everyone and be like, leave my kid alone? Okay, maybe. But maybe he is allowing them to be facing hardship so that they're strong. Or maybe he's allowing a little bit of struggle so that they're so much more distinct from the world that they are that much more attractive to the world. Why do they love their enemy? I don't know. And think about this, if God made everything easy, if God made everything easy for Paul, Paul was trying to get back to the Thessalonians and he says in chapter two, Satan kept thwarting us so we couldn't get back. What if God would have just said like, boop, to Satan and kicked him out of the way and Paul could have got back to Thessalon? It would have been so great. It would have made Paul so happy and we never would have got this letter if it was easy. In fact, if, we, if he got back to Thessalonica, guess what? We also wouldn't have the letter to the first Corinthians, because after that, he goes over to Ephesus and he writes a letter to Corinth. And so if he's up in Thessalonica, then we don't, we miss a bunch of Paul's letters if everything is easy. We don't know why the hardship, the tension, the struggle, some people lost their life, but we know this, that God is good. How do we know that God is good? Because if he has given us his son, Romans 8, what else will he not give us? Well, how much more can he give? Right? How much more? And so they understand simply God is their father. God is my dad. He cares. Profound. Second thing is they've come to believe that Jesus is Lord. Look what he says. He says, You are in the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very simple. That Jesus, this this man who lived in Nazareth and walked around Galilee, that he was God incarnate, that he died on a cross in their place for their sins and that he rose again. They believed it and they didn't see any miracles and they didn't see feeding the 5,000. They never saw him, but they believed that he was God. And in doing so, it put him in the crosshairs of the culture because it was one thing to say, oh, I'll just add another God to the pantheon of gods in my family. No big deal. But to say Jesus was Lord is to say Caesar was not. To say Jesus is Lord is to say Zeus is not. And that puts them in opposition to their work, to their family, to their friends. That's what they did. Right? Simple faith. They didn't have the five points of Calvin. They didn't have the Westminster Confession of Faith. They didn't do quiet times. Can you imagine? You know why? Because they didn't have a Bible. The synagogue had a couple Old Testaments, but they didn't have, they didn't say, hey, I'm, you know, they went to a coffee shop with their Bibles all marked up. Look at my Bible, it's all underlined. Got a journal, journaling for Jesus. They didn't have any of that. They had a simple faith. God is my father, Jesus is my Lord. And they turned the world upside down. And that should be super encouraging to most of you. Because I know there's this tension. Well, I, just, I can't read John Piper. I get like a page in and I'm like bored. Me too. So I just look at his quotes. I can read a quote. All right, give me, I'm more of a Dr. Seuss guy. <laughs> just being authentic. It's okay. All right, now there's going to be some people that are going to go train deeper and they're going to get deeper and he's going to be the guys we train and equip. Yes, but you know what? If we can agree that God is our father and God is not, by the way, the father of everybody in the world. He is the father for those who believe. He is the creator of everyone in the world, but he's only the father as many as received him. To them, he gave the right to become children of God. So it's not just, oh, God is everyone's father. God is everyone's creator. He is the father to the believer. If we, can, if we can come to that point, you understand God is your father, that if you are a follower of Christ, he is not, he's not, you're not under his wrath anymore, you're under his grace, and that Jesus of Nazareth is God incarnate, eternally lived, pa- eternally existent in the past. He will be eternally King of kings and Lord of lords, and that he died as your substitute in your place. We can agree on that. I don't care how many points you have in your Calvinism. I don't even care if you speak in tongues. Just don't, don't do it in a service. <laughs> I don't care. Hands up, hands down, whatever you want to do. If we can come there, then we can be an imitatable group of people who love God and then we will love each other. I'm just telling you, that's what we want. That's them. All right. And then one more thing real quick. And this, this we're going to use to lead into the table. They, they were a simple family. They had simple faith. And then there was a simple experience that they had in common. And, and we're going to celebrate the table in a minute. But what is that experience? He closes by saying what? Grace And peace. Common for the Christians in that day. But actually, if you look at it, the word grace is the the Greek word for rejoice. And peace is this word shalom. And you have this idea of Jew and Gentile together in one. And there's this cool oneness factor. But there is a common experience of grace and a common experience of peace that they all had. Again, hugely different from their background. Because in the Greek background, they had to appease the gods You don't want Zeus to strike you dead. You better do something. You don't want Poseidon to do this. You better do something. God is mad. You better make him happy. Better do jump through hoops to make God happy. And what grace is, is it's God's unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor towards you. What do I need to do to do it? Get it. Nothing. You can't earn it. That's why it's called grace. Right? It is unearned. It is a gift. Some of you are still trying to earn grace. Now, you're doing it under a Christian name, but you're thinking, oh, I did my quiet time. God's going to love me more. I'm going to give. God's going to love me more. I'm going to share my this. God's going to love me more. And you're still trying to impress God. He, he's impressed with his son, not with you why he killed his son and he rose again and he is the model and he is the example and so stop looking to your performance that doesn't mean we don't want to go do our quiet time because now because of grace I want to be with this God who loves me now because of grace I want to shun this stuff that is bad for me but it's not to earn God's favor it's in light of it and they were objects of grace and this is so important for us to grasp because you cannot if you're not a recipient of grace you certainly cannot be a model of grace out there if you're trying to earn your deal and you're still trying to make God happy, all you're going to do is you're going to do something so someone can repay you. So you're like, I'll serve them. But really, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I'll serve them. So pretty soon down the road, they'll come back and they'll give it back to me. Because I can give, I can do and they'll do for me. And then I'll give and then someone's going to give to me. And it's not because of grace. It's because I want to earn, right? And that, that's not grace, common experience they they understand grace and when you take the table in a few minutes you're going to take bread that is that's has been pierced and crushed and it represents the grace of God as Jesus was crushed for you as his body was pierced for your sins and you're going to partake of a cup that represents the blood that was shed for your sins that is that is grace and the second thing is peace and we're not talking peace Horizontal, I mean, horizontally because they don't have a lot of peace horizontally, right? It's chaos, but they have the only peace that matters with God. And again, if you're not a recipient of peace with God, you cannot have peace with man. You can try, but how are you gonna, how are you gonna love your boss who is a jerk if you are not in peace with God? How are you going to love a person unconditionally? How are you gonna not revile When they revile you, how are you going to turn the other cheek if you haven't experienced peace with God? You won't. But if you've realized that I was under the wrath of God, think about this. We don't think about this. We talk about we were saved. What were you saved from? You were saved from God, from his wrath that you deserved, that he poured out on another, his son. And so you have peace with God. And now it gives us the ability to have peace with man. And so they're, they're radical because these people are persecuting them and they're loving them. It's crazy. It only comes from faith in a savior. Look, this is imitatable. It is simple. I know some of you were looking for like seven things that we can do and I'm going to go out here, I'm going to do this. No, no. Simple family, simple faith, simple experience. And this church Six months old, eight months old, baby Christians. No great apostle at the helm. Rocked Greece, and we're still talking about them. And this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a fun story. This is gonna be a fun study for us. It's gonna be super practical because if we live our I mean, we're 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 going now. Okay, we got the whole building. I mean, our kids ministry is a little crazy today, but we'll get that. We need to be moving now. We've got a big city, right? We need to be moving. And it's gonna take a, a group of people who are living and imitating Christ to be an impact on that. And that's where we're going. So if you don't wanna go there, come back in 11 weeks. The rest of you, your homework, First Thessalonians. We're gonna celebrate the table. And I say celebrate on purpose because, because it is a celebration of grace and peace. If you are a follower of Jesus, you believe that God is your father because you have believed in the son who was your substitute, then we invite you to partake today. We have an open table for Christians. You don't have to be a member here. And here's how we're going to do it. The men are going to hand it out as the praise team kind of leads us quietly. And when you are ready, just after some time of thought and meditation on the gospel and God's goodness, after some time of confession and repentance, you take there in your seat when you're ready. And then Ethan will charge us to stand and and we'll continue to sing and worship together. Let me pray uh, and we'll worship. Father God, I thank you for this little epistle, lesser read, but yet powerful. I pray that on the other side of these 10 weeks, that we will be a church. It's certainly not perfect. It doesn't do everything right, but there, there, would, be, there would be some worth imitating, that there would be some Christ-likeness, that there would be some genuine familial love, that there will be a simple faith, and that we would be a church that can model grace and peace because we've experienced it. Use this to shape our lives, Lord. I thank you for the table as a reminder uh, of a picture of what you have done for us. I pray that you would just comfort us in it. And, and maybe someone here this morning just needs to be reminded because their life is a mess, that they are in the Father. Make that very real this morning to them. That they are secure in a, in a Father who you tell us that no one is able to snatch us out of your hands. Not, not Satan, not the world, no one. There's security in that because of what Christ has done. So we're thankful and we worship Christ in your name.